Hi friends, I know, I'm sorry, I've been MIA, but I promise to do a separate episode on that. I'm excited to bring you this interview because it's a discussion about education in a country that is near and dear to my heart, Pakistan. I was born in Pakistan and spent the earlier part of my childhood there. Lots of beautiful memories, so I have a bit of a romantics view of the place. Naturally, I care about education there, so in this interview, I spoke with someone who is trying to contribute to education in Pakistan in a meaningful way. I think you'll find our conversation interesting. Let me know what you think. Enjoy. I'm really excited to bring you our guest today uh, of the international variety. She is uh, a friend of mine, and I, it's a real pleasure to talk to her today. She's from Pakistan, and she's here to share with us what she has learned about education, not only in Pakistan, but also abroad. Uh, she has been outside of Pakistan for several years, learning about global education. So very happy to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a real pleasure to talk to you and I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. Thank you for your time. I know our time difference is crazy. It's really early morning for you and it's getting pretty late for me. So let's get to it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Tell us about yourself. Uh, what do you do right now? What are your interests? How did you end up in education or wanting to be in education? Uh, tell us a story. How did it all start? When I was younger, before my bachelor's, my father, my family, they all used to really ponder on what I should do with my life. There were various uh, career options, but yeah. I really wanted to do something that was uh, heartfelt and really close to what to my nature. So I love being with kids mm -hmm. and uh, I love taking care of them. So and eventually I kind of noticed the the situation with children in Pakistan, there's so many children who face poverty and lack of uh, human rights, child rights being provided to them. So that kind of prompted me to come in the field of uh, child rights. And I felt that education is one of the most important child rights right now. Mm -hmm. And it kind of leads on to the development of country and the uh, so it's very important. So I, since a very long time ago, I wanted to work for the, to provide quality education to children who belong to underdeveloped and underserved areas in Pakistan to help them fulfill their potential. So that's kind of what I wanted to do. Then I went, then I did my bachelor's. Then after my bachelor's for five years, I was working with various NGOs in Pakistan that worked for education of underserved communities. Uh, right now, I'm pursuing master's uh, in international education abroad. Why don't we start with what the education system is like? How would you describe it to people who have no experience or uh, understanding of what the educational public school system is like in Pakistan? How would you describe it? So if I was to use one word, I think it's haphazard. It's <laughs> completely... Uh, so there is public education system. There are a lot of primary schools and secondary schools spread across the country. Primary schools are more secondary schools. There's a dearth of secondary schools, especially in rural areas. 
but the major mm-hmm. problem is that there is a lack of teachers there are ghost teachers most of the hiring is political so even if teachers are hired they're not coming to school they're probably teaching abroad shifted in dubai somewhere or or maybe you know just a complete lack of responsibility and uh, accountability is prevalent in the public education system so far so that the results are completely like devastating then there is another sector which is the private education sector which i think can be in my mind can be divided into two distinct categories one is the private schools which are low income private schools which are situated all over the country because the public schools are not performing and the infrastructure is so bad and the facilities are minimal and the teachers are not present the private schools have the opportunity to bud up everywhere across the country so there would be a small house and in that small house someone would open a small private school low cost private school and they would be definitely better because hmm. they are comparing with zero of public school so even if they are hmm. 10 or 20 they perform better then there are private schools which are situated in major cities they are the elite private schools they charge high fees they are they might be teaching cambridge boards or international baccalaureate boards and they are more catering to the uh, the upper class or the upper middle class of the country these are the three kinds of education systems prevailing now the issue with these three is that um, each one of them public schools have no strategy at all the private schools are now i think around i don't know around like around 30% of the children or 35% of the children i'm i'm not sure are studying in private schools so you're not really sure what they're getting each school can give their own brand of education and it's very difficult mm-hmm. to kind of make sure that the values that are being given are all right so one of one example i can give one of the top tier schools one of the like top 10 schools in based in karachi i got across a yearbook mm-hmm. of that school and uh, some of the i think high middle schoolers were asked what do you want to be uh, 30 years from now or where do you want to see yourself all of a lot of the girls in responses were that i want i see myself married to a millionaire in dubai or paris mm. i go daily for shopping and i have three children and you know so, so yeah. this is this was published in a yearbook of a top tier elite private school so you, this is kind of the challenge that i feel that pakistani education system is facing yeah right now what was your own experience like growing up what kind of education did you receive and what did it allow you to do i think in the primary years i really had fun i enjoyed but at that time i didn't know any better as i reflect now i feel that most of it was probably road learning or mm-hmm. most of it was probably like just you know absorbing information from the books and i think experiences apart from school also helped shape up what i am today i mean one of the most memorable experiences of my life but if i evaluate it in terms of education and i would say that it could have been better and i think the situation has worsened from there then mm-hmm. later on when i joined uh, for my what would you call grade 11th and 12th i think high school for us it's a high school yes yeah so high, for high school i studied in a government school so in that government school i didn't go i was at home i woke up at 5 pm in the evening every day wow. and then 
when the exams i was actually depressed because i was from a cantonment school which was you know routine and sports day and so would you describe uh, that school as a as a more privileged school but, or an elite school not elite because mm-hmm. it provided discounted education for the army personnel but oh, it was still much better than the the government school that i yeah. went to because i didn't go to that government school i got i was uh, i was absent mostly i i was at home and when the exams came i could get a practice paper or a guest paper and i could practice from that and then you know i would pass my exams like that and it was it was a i think it was the worst part of my life mm. i was really really depressed by and then my parents had to put me in a coaching center to give me some sense of routine and friendship and community and after that mm. i joined bachelor's in a good university and i think that was a good experience uh overall it sounds like you must have done very well even without going to school that you were able to get into a very good college i don't want to boast but i think i was one of the in, uh, exceptions because from my school from my batch only two people got into iba to the university mm-hmm. the one i i was the one and there was another girl so it i had to work really hard for the exam preparation i had to take extra coaching classes and uh, i had a re- reading habit my friends got me into reading books i used to read a lot of novels despite not getting much reading from the school mm-hmm. so that's why my english my vocabulary was kind of a little bit developed so i could get past the entrance examination mm-hmm. so a lot of it was because of my own personal experience but some of it was from the schooling as well so then the university was done and then after that i went to work with the ngo then and there was a time i think in your career after after college where you were a teacher trainer and you developed teachers as well how did that happen so basically i was working with an organization on a two year contract after my bachelor's my bachelor's was in business administration because a mm-hmm. uh, degree in education was of quality was not available in pakistan all the degrees uh, whether it be bed or med or they were very poor quality i could do that while sitting at home i could send mm-hmm. someone to give an exam on my behalf and i would be done so my parents and i decided that it's better to get a university degree from a good university so because at that point mm-hmm. i wanted to make an ngo so i was like if i get a business degree the functions of an organization are the same so i could do it and then after my business degree i wanted to get grassroots experience in education field so i joined an organization where i could work for 2 years teaching children mm-hmm. uh in belonging to schools that are under resourced and right. children belonging from underserved communities so as part of that 2 year program i had to do a community development project in which uh, we could do anything so we decided that uh, there was a need for teacher training in that school system and mm-hmm. we talked to the it was not a government system it was a low cost private ngo setup so we talked to the administration and the ngos and they said that we need this training and we would really we would really welcome it so me and my partner in that school we developed a teacher training program and then uh, we trained teachers from not only our branch uh, but all four branches of that setup and uh, yeah so that's what we did 
Wow. Interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. What's most interesting to me is that you did not receive any teacher training until you joined this two-year teacher program. Basically, a program that takes young people who are graduates of very good schools and places them into high-need classrooms. You joined this sort of a program. You got into a classroom, and immediately you are able to train teachers that have already been there. So that's what's very surprising about this, that you didn't have a lot of experience in teaching, yet you were able to notice and also identify the things that teachers could do to become better teachers. What did you notice that you said, you know, we, we can we have some ideas here, even though we don't have a lot of experience? So basically, we were uh, trained for teaching by the organization that we were part of, right? Mm-hmm. So we had a... We had a set ways of doing things we were doing lesson planning with some might mm-hmm. some kind of framework and we were doing uh, extra classes with the students we were trying to we were we were just trying to identify what students need and to just be mm-hmm. able to fill those needs but we we saw that the teachers in that school were not doing that because we thought that probably mm-hmm. they were not being given the support that they needed and uh, as when the opportunity for community development project came up uh, we thought that it's important to pass on what we learned and to mm-hmm. leave something behind so it was not like we wanted to train the teachers we just wanted to share the knowledge that we had I so see. whatever they whatever the organization taught us we made it in we converted it into a training in a contextualized way in easy way we we yeah. simplified the the lesson planning structures we simplified the everything we uh, kind of we we did a more complicated job but we kind of made it more simple for yeah. the teachers uh, so that it helps them in servicing their students so that's what the idea was right and the what was the reception like it sounds like the school leaders were very happy and excited about it they allowed you to yeah. do those trainings uh, with other schools but what about the teachers themselves the teachers were uh, frankly speaking they liked it at some point but then obviously their workload was increasing and they were used to you know they right. had lesson planners that were passed on from generations to generations they had <laughs> in, they inherited those lesson planners so if you would go to a date uh, in their lesson planner and check the lesson that would be actually nothing because they made the lesson planner for the whole year before the year even started Oh. because they were copying from the last year's teacher i see i see just make it colorful and use new colors and glitter pens and decorate their planner but it was not really it was not really used they were just teaching from day to day so obviously if you hmm. tell them if you give them some framework to a person who does not have any framework they would be like okay please get out of my school <laughs> but <laughs> but our framework gave the school leaders Uh, an opportunity and uh, to make their evaluations easier equip them with something to help the teachers yeah. teach better At- teachers it was kind of obviously not that happy happy but for the school leaders it was uh, an opportunity to help teachers on their own as well yeah i just want to make sure that the audience is able to understand the context of and the situation of teacher training and the status of teacher development in Pakistan also right because i think a lot of people would assume that teachers are very well trained i think a lot of people also might assume that there is some kind of a teacher license one has to earn 
Um, oh, I can. So, so, so if you can elaborate on how that how teacher preparation works typically for most people in 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 okay. the public sector. Okay. So in public sector, the teacher training is uh, uh, basically teachers don't need any license or qualification to apply for like any specific license. Mm-hmm. to apply for a public teacher position you don't have to pass an exam or you don't have to get a certification as such they would judge you on the basis of your current qualifications whether you have a bachelor or anything it's not mm-hmm. a set in stone also as i told you most of the teacher hiring in public schools is done on political affiliations because the schools are the polling stations during elections Mm-hmm. and the teachers are the kind of the people who run the polling station so it's very very tricky teachers hold a lot of power in that regard because mm-hmm. so they, the most of the hirings are political affiliation mm. then there are a few qualifications that are offered by government and private institutions their bachelors of education bed and masters of education mhead however they all of these programs are not accredited by a common organization there is one that's called national accreditation council for teacher education but most of the programs are not required mandatorily to be accredited or registered with this organization so this lack of standardization hinders mm-hmm. the comparison of quality across various programs you know you could have a bed degree but mm-hmm. you know there's no guarantee that it's quality and there's no government certified course for bed and mhead that needs to be done completed by teachers in order to be hired as teachers so essentially there's no pre service training for the in service training only 57% of the government teachers uh, have reported that they attended an in service teacher training in the last 5 years hmm. and 51% of those teachers said that the training had no relevance or little relevance to the reality of the classroom hmm. 55% even said that we are dissatisfied with our in service teacher training experience so in the last 5 years 43% of the teachers were not even given in service training before the before they became a teacher they did not get training if i share mm. my own personal experience i was uh, i was applying for a masters abroad for an education degree and uh, i got rejected because they said that my previous degree is not in education for mm-hmm. me it was a waste of time as i told you the situation is so bad right. so but then i said that if it's a, it, if it's a requirement then i should do something about it previously the bed degree was only one year mm-hmm. when i was trying to apply it became 2.5 years so i was like okay let's do whatever it is this is a bachelor in education yes okay. bachelor in education so when i went for a admission in bachelor of education institution which was internationally like the degree could be internationally accepted mm-hmm. i went to that institute uh, to pay my fees and i saw that a man was sleeping in pers- principal's office and the principal and i were both ignoring that man who was snoring very loudly i gave him the money <laughs> the principal accepted the fees uh-huh. and uh, and then i went out of the room and i went home and i was shocked like if this is an institution that's supposed to teach me how to teach i, I don't know right it, it <laughs> doesn't know. sound very professional yeah so it, i mean the i think the institution was one of the most run down facilities that i've ever seen so if they're supposed to train teachers what what can we expect from the teachers themselves 
Yeah. You know, th- there's also a very interesting dynamic of public and private schools in Pakistan, as you alluded to earlier. There's a report that UNICEF, I think, recently published. I'm not sure if you've come across it. It's called the Pakistan Education Statistics 2016 and 17. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the most recent one that they've published on the status of education in Pakistan. And what's interesting about it is that Pakistan, in terms of um, access to education, you know, the numbers were very bad for a long time that a lot of people, a lot of children in Pakistan did not for a long time have access to schools. But right. that that data seems to have improved. Those numbers have improved significantly. Yes. That access to education is now, it's in the 90s, I think 90% of children have access. So that's way better than what it used to be. But what, what I'm finding interesting is they have on page seven of this report, they have this distribution of institutions by sex. So they right. tell you at the primary, middle, high school and higher secondary levels, how many schools are private schools and how many schools are public schools. And what's interesting is that the primary schools at the primary level, it's the government that has so many more schools than the private. So 88% government schools and only 12% private schools. But as soon as you start getting to the upper grades, middle school and high school, the private sector has so many more institutions than public schools. So middle schools, for example, there's 66% of the middle schools are all private schools and 34% of the middle schools are public schools. And then same thing with high school, similar numbers. Why is this? Why is it that at the elementary school level, at the primary level, that there's so many more public schools available, but the private sector has been apparently only focusing on middle and high school? First of all, I would like to talk about the access issue. Uh, The access will also be, I think the statistics might be better for the primary schools. What Pakistan, what major provinces in Pakistan have done is that the government is now giving a lot of the private, uh, a lot of their their own schools to private entrepreneurs, so to say, private education managers to run them. Mm-hmm. And the major benefit for the government in this uh, is that private schools uh, bid half the cost for running these schools versus what the government was actually spending. So a lot of schools have been given to private schools. And one of the indicators on which they evaluate these private education managers is the access point. I see. However, the quality is another subject altogether. A lot of these private education managers, you know, they just try to fill their schools with attendance and enrollment figures and stuff. So the access has gone up because of this measure. However, I'm not a proponent of this because what have the private education managers proved that you can give them your schools and then each school, each public school that you give to each education manager has another education philosophy. You cannot standardize quality of education. And I'm not saying standardized like in the in Hitler's way or something, but mm-hmm. it, it's government's job. They're just trying to run away from it. One of the mm-hmm. news articles I read, it said that the government might not even build new schools at all and might give subsidy to these new low-cost private schools and just be done with their responsibilities. So I think it's kind of irresponsible on part of government. Mm-hmm. And the rise of... Uh, these numbers are kind of misleading if education quality is only measured on the basis of these numbers. And uh, on on the part of the number of schools, I would say that again, the responsibility of government comes in because in private, uh, in primary schools, the children are younger, right? And they can attend the school. But as soon as they grow up, 
they are burdened with economic uh, responsibilities they might be they might become an apprentice or you know some right. other skilled skilled person in the society they might be harvesting crops or they might be helping their father with the work right so right. the government instead of building awareness for the education at secondary middle level high school level they just don't make schools because they know that if they make a school it would be empty and the children won't come instead of a building awareness instead of providing facilities so the parents don't have to uh, make the children work instead of providing that kind of system healthcare system or they just have accepted the fact that children above grade 5 would go to work so that's why mm-hmm. even if children who do want to study after primary school they don't have any school near their place in, in case of girls it's very difficult to travel for miles and miles to continue their education in secondary school so they just stay at home for boys some of them do go outside and pursue higher education but most of them also go to work yeah i would I love know. to hear your experience in terms of women's education too uh, your on the ground experience you having lived there as well what i've heard fr- from a lot of experts is that the number of graduates of higher education women tend to outnumber men in those higher degrees so that doesn't it's hard to understand that when women don't have access in younger years of their lives yet in older years more women are doctors than men more women have higher degrees than men how would you explain that to help us understand it the thing is that see i'm not an expert in this and i uh, but i can make some guesses sure. based on my experience the women in cities do have access because they are living in a city and there is mm-hmm. an abundance of school and then there are low cost private schools as well that are coming up and as as might be believed by other people women do want to get educated and now the parents also want their women to get educated it's not mm-hmm. it, it might be in some tribal areas that they want don't want to send their children but but i think majorly in my experience as well even though i only taught in a city type environment parents do want to send their girls to school mm-hmm. so and and now uh, higher education degrees they then we would have to go into what quality the higher education degrees give because <laughs> that sure. is also that is also a problem right there are only few major universities where you can get a quality degree but a lot of the other institute for example i said i told about my b ed degree right Mm-hmm. when i was trying to get a b ed degree i could give exams only and not attend any classes mm. so it's very easy for me to get a degree i just have to go and pay fees and uh, give my exams i can study at home and uh, you know these are kind of the if you say facilities that are being provided but yeah. uh, it depends from province to province on what i have read i think it's higher in punjab and i think it's lower in other other provinces sure. but yes women do want to study women actually want more even if you observe in a class all more sometimes all the position holders are women in my class all the position holders used to be women or mm-hmm. girls even in uh, my my brother is studying medical right now and when he was in high school he was only one of the three boys and then all the other students mm. were girls who wanted to pursue a medical degree and then there is also a kind of a, a cultural kind of thing where all the men are supposed to study engineering and all the girls are supposed to study medical it's oh. kind of it's kind of that 
mentality as well yeah if you have a boy you would start talking to him like you have to become an engineer and it's like kind of a pride family thing mm-hmm. and the girls want to become a doctor it's very few males who actually want to become a doctor so a lot of things that's happening but yes even if you com- i i don't have the statistic but if you compare like total number of women and then you compare with the women who actually graduate from university i think it would be much lower oh i see can you talk a little bit more about you know what is the culture around that extra academic support after school how does that work in pakistan are most people uh, using that because the schools aren't doing a good enough job of educating so children it's basically it's a business opportunity education is a business opportunity in pakistan so the mm-hmm. same teachers who teach poorly in the government schools or might be dozing off or might be taking sips from their tea in the school hours they would be performing mm-hmm. at an excellent level in the coaching center in the evening mm-hmm. right because they get their salary in the morning and they want their children they would actually advise the students to come for coaching in the evening and they could you know mm-hmm. help them and guide them it's a very wonderful opportunity for these professors and teachers the coaching culture is there and they've charged a high fees for one subject they could go up to a large amount like 50000 yeah. in some cases it's very 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 expensive and that is accepted now in government schools it's a routine you have to enroll in a government school and then you go to a coaching center there is no way out of that in high hmm. school my parents didn't know that and they didn't put me in a coaching center in my first year yeah. and they thought that the because my father studied from the same school so he had this uh, emotional attachment with that setup so mm-hmm. he put me in there and he said the principal is really nice and it was, you won't need a private tuition but then eventually to get that routine to get that uh, you know school culture to get the, the notes to get the education to get the knowledge i had to go to private coaching in my second year and i found out that everybody does that yeah. they decide the college and then i think they decide the tuition center first and the college later wow for the high school public education that's the kind of atmosphere that that is around here and then yeah. they come up with their guest papers and everything clarify the terminology for us too because you're yes. saying yes. high school and college when you say college you're talking about 11th and 12th year right uh yes 11th grade and 12th grade which is the high school for you guys for us we call it college got it and then and then and then the bachelor's is university we call it university got it, it okay yeah. makes sense now you've also been traveling a little bit so you know one of the things i wanted to also learn from you is what are the different things well what are the some of the countries you've you've been to as you've been learning a little bit about the different models of education and what have been some of your key learnings from your travels and your studies so currently i'm uh, studying in japan and uh, mm-hmm. one of the major reasons for going to japan was uh, because they have a really good education system one of the top education systems in the world in japan so my degree has not yet started but whatever i've learned so far is very interesting and very mm-hmm. uh, and kind of links to what the views i have about pakistan's education system if we look at their primary education system around 99.9 something percentage of the schools primary schools are public schools and if you go from top to bottom of japan the quality will be the same the mm. teachers are i think regularly rotated from prefecture to prefecture so the quality remains the same and there's no 
thing like in, in the uppermost prefecture the quality would be different and in the middle prefecture the quality would be different by prefecture mm. i mean province or state right. or that kind of thing so it's very homogeneous it's very standardized actually the level the quality of education mm. and what i'm impressed by most is the is the values and they, that starts from preschool actually the values like one of the things that very famous around the world the cleanliness aspect all the teachers mm-hmm. and the students daily they have to clean the school together wow. uh, each and every each and every portion of the school even the toilets even the classroom everything wow and that is interesting to me because because it gives a value not because okay they don't have to hire super anymore it's because right. it's interesting because they they it's a value you take care of the place that you belong to you know yeah. and then the value of group in every activity that's designed in preschool and primary school community the value of community the value of social cohesion is uh, is built up and then some argue in other countries some argue that individualism is kind of compromised and they don't mm-hmm. have that yeah. but but for me i mean i don't know about that but we are not living alone in this world right <laughs> right so so we are living with some people and uh, we if we are being selfish and individualistic then we come to come to detriment the society and they mm. they care about the society first and the individual a little bit later the family comes important so those mm. values are not like in in pakistan if someone is good natured they would say okay he belongs to this family that's why he's so good natured in japan there is no difference each mm. and every kid will have the same uh, similar values you know so everybody is working hard to make them good natured to make them socially cohesive to make them uh, care about their belonging to make the, the cleanliness aspect is also related to nature to care about the nature to care yeah. about the climate change some i was talking to one of the professors and they said that the new uh, one of the goals in uh, sustainable development goals is about uh, sustainability education and that stemmed from japan wow. so that that could not have stemmed from japan if their basic value was not th- those values were not being uh, taught or being mm-hmm. kind of instilled in those children at the primary level so it's very interesting that if you aim for something even in public sector and if you work hard enough then it is possible that each and every person can provide the same or higher quality and that's what i want to learn how they do that so far um, based on your little bit of experience there have you seen anything that you feel like you know this can be applied in pakistan and it could work are there things like that you've noticed this is one of the things the the governance of education system Mm-hmm. and uh, because a lot of governance is involved right a lot of management is involved to provide this kind of uh, homogeneous quality all across the board yeah. so that's something that i want to learn about and that's something that because here if you talk about um, how do we do it if it's, it's there's so much diversity there's so much uh, the different provinces so much land so much spaces so a lot of population and i know that japan is a very different uh, demographic than pakistan but still we can learn and we can contextualize we can take ideas so that some like at primary level at least all the children are given some values that are beneficial for the society here we see no regard for cleanliness here we see no regard for human connection here 
currently we see that you know there's high level of corruption and the corruption is not only in government level but it actually goes down to the very uh, you know bottom of the food chain so the one of the problems which i see is that when you give education management to these private education managers and it's all so so diversified uh, this goal of value based education cannot be achieved it sounds like you want a homogenous quality there's a standard for a high level of educational quality that is across the board right. in in public schools so that there's not a lot of diversity of children's experience in education and everyone receives a fair shot and a fair uh, you know good quality education right. a baseline quality of education do you think it's too late though because in pakistan's case you already have 40% or so of your uh, schools are already private schools and 60% yeah. are uh, some people say it's 50-50 but some of the recent statistics are saying it's 60-40 60% public schools 40% private schools and the private schools are so many different types like you mentioned before low cost private right. schools then you have the the different kinds of ngos that are running the non government organizations charitable organizations etc so when you have that kind of diversity already established now do you think there's a way to bring it all back under one umbrella still are you optimistic the, about that the thing is that if you have a will to do something and if you really set out and if you make your mind then i think you can do something about it i even in uh, in the recent uh, i mean i don't i'm not a i cannot i don't have a framework in my mind of for how to achieve this mm-hmm. but i think that it's something that the current government also is looking towards because in the national pol- education policy framework which was published in 2018 after the new government of imran khan was established mm-hmm. he 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 realized that the various education boards and various uh, education systems are causing uh the differences between the level of education that's provided to rural and urban and other segments of society so he called for one education board uniform education system mm-hmm. in which there will be one curriculum followed all over pakistan but he didn't elaborate much further than that even recently i was trying to find some news over this and they were saying that we would create a one uniform board all f- focused all over pakistan so there they realize the need however mm-hmm. i think they're still lacking the direction but if if they want to do it they can i think there can be there still can be a way a lot of governments and a lot of countries have pulled themselves out of larger crises i think yeah I'm yeah optimistic I'm, yeah me too i'm i'm hopeful because uh interesting story uh i'm going to share with you about sure. i think 10 12 years ago uh prime minister imran khan came to columbia university to address uh, the community i think here uh, the pakistani right. community here and i attended that session and i got a chance to ask him a question my question to him was about education and i wanted him to talk about you know the status of education in pakistan and at that time he had in response to the question he had answered that he thinks the education can only be described as it is in a state of emergency like a state of emergency must be declared uh, to address right. the the education challenges that the country's facing and he mentioned about the disparities and figuring out a way to bring it uh 
so that all Pakistani children are receiving at minimum a baseline of quality education. So it's interesting and I'm glad that he is trying to do something about that. Uh, but it does seem hard. I do feel that at yeah. the policy level, something can be done that brings a lot of the other schools that are currently not under the purview of the government. Uh, the private schools should be perhaps held accountable to to some things right. that the government sets aside. One of the one of the problems uh, with this is that uh, when you call something an emergency, that requires an emergency response, which right. is a short term response, right? Education is a long-term problem. Sure. And education requires a long-term response. So when they talk about it in this emergency kind of mode, then they come up with these policies which are so short-term that they can only help them win the elections and not really, you know, do something Very interesting. Else. So education needs to be viewed as a long-term problem and it needs to be figured out as a long-term problem. The policies need to be made as long-term. It should not relate with the political terms of the politicians or their, you know, their, uh, what do you say, the five years. It should not be related mm-hmm. to that. It should be long-term and the benefits will be reaped in the long-term as well. You cannot make a policy today and expect something in return the next right. year. That's that's how they do it. So that's one major problem with this. With this. Uh, what, what were some of your biggest frustrations that you think are getting in the way of helping teachers improve in Pakistan? One of the major frustrations, yes, I can uh, say is that the people who are working for education, and I think I will talk about myself as well. It's my It's my learning from my five years. Mm-hmm. The people who are working in education are not good teachers themselves. Mm-hmm. They might have degrees in education from abroad. They might have done some fellowship or something, but they are not good teachers. So when they are hired to solve the problems of teachers, when they are hired to train teachers, they might have these ideas that they get from the internet, but they essentially do not solve the problems of teachers. That's what I feel Mm -hmm. is the problem. There are no, and everybody in Pakistan, every, so to say, education expert wants a high paying job. So they would, and teaching is a very low paying job. So right. they also don't want to pursue to become a good teacher first and then become a policymaker or a teacher trainer or mm-hmm. you know, a, someone who is higher up. And then you don't want to teach, but you want to preach. That kind, That's the kind of thing yeah. I feel that it's very frustrating for me. I found that I, I also went that path. So when after my master's, I want to become a teacher. <laughs> for at least five years I want to teach and that's going to require a lot of struggle on part of my family because they would be like after doing your master's you're earning like 5,000 rupees per month <laughs> why, why did you waste so much time in master's you should you know reap some benefit but I feel like I have to teach I have to become a good teacher first and to create a model of how it teacher looks like and then try yeah to it's the only way interested. it's the only way to really understand the challenges of a teacher or you know what's getting in the way of the teacher if you're interested in student outcomes you really have to be in there to get that experience so yes. good for you you're right i think one more frustration that i have is with the curriculum the national mm-hmm. curriculum of pakistan and the books that are being made resultantly i feel that it's very very filled with information i feel that it might be true for other countries as well but for pakistan Mm. the problem is uh, 
much more worse because if you look at the average student in Pakistan, the average student in Pakistan is not someone who belongs to a upper middle class and lives in Karachi. You know, an average right. student in Pakistan belongs to a rural area. He might be going to work after school. or she might be coming home and helping the family to cook clean take care of her siblings yeah. so and these are there are loads of statistics who say that this is true right a lot of reports have come yeah. up which tell that children are not just studying they don't even have a time to go to private tuition so whatever they whatever time they spend in school is all the time that they are giving up for education right then they are malnourished then they are their health issues then there's child abuse then there's mm-hmm. sexual abuse one of the reports that i was reading said that 15 to 20% of the children in pakistan have gone through some sort of sexual abuse and you know there is a uh, all kind of other things and then there's the major problem of disability or learning disabilities and other kind of disabilities which are completely completely left out of education policy nobody knows about mm-hmm. them nobody wants to know about them so a lot of students I, as i reflect back I visited your classroom and I I was shocked because a lot of students in your classroom I could see that they were in my classroom as well and I didn't know that they were facing learning disabilities. Mm-hmm. They might be, right? They might have those issues and nobody knows about them in Pakistan. So if you don't know those children they, their self esteem goes down further when you fail them or when they come at the bottom of the class in the yeah. school exams and nobody knows they just feel they just think that they are just you know poor students but they are actually yeah. facing those problems which they cannot describe to anybody and nobody understands so that is also one of the like the curriculum and everything you know teacher training and everything is designed in a way that ignores the common average student in the classroom that is one of my other frustrations what what i love about pakistan these days right now a lot a lot of things are happening it's a very uh, vibrant place politically and people are also very active trying to take action especially uh, social action so is there right. anything positive that you're seeing right now that's a positive development whether it's related to education or something else or human development in general that you're feeling like this is good and even other countries can learn from pakistan about this in terms of a lot of stuff is happening i think and one of the major things is that the youth is now the youth that was completely oblivious to the problems before is now taking charge raising awareness and coming mm-hmm. to the forefront and i think the credit goes to imran khan and the and the in the movement that he started which is really really inspirational mm-hmm. that is one of the biggest positives i think and even in if we talk about education yeah i think that the current government I mean, I talk about the issues, but I think that the government, current government, when they talk about the uniform education system, I feel that they have sensed the need, mm-hmm. and from now onward, they might be able to, you know, do something. Especially if you look at the example in Khyber Pakhtunkhwa, I think even though education was still better there, but but I think that in in the in Khan's government, it very flourished and he did some really wonderful things. He he put the money where it's supposed to be even if mm-hmm. the efforts were not uh, maybe like well researched or something i'm not sure but he put the money where it should have been put you know the positive thing in pakistan is that after imran khan there might be a big big crackdown on corruption and the money that uh, used to go unnoticed into the pockets of politicians so that's one positive thing but from here on that money 
can be used for the benefit of the society and uh, it should be used to hire consultants it should be used to hire people who know about education and then mm-hmm. hopefully something can be done whatever i described was the past but i see that sure. there might be bright future yeah <laughs> um that is my hope too our last question is always the magic wand question if you could wave a magic wand to strengthen the schools of pakistan education in general teaching in general what are some things you would do with your magic wand <laughs> i don't know <laughs> you could do like, whatever you no. want I could do whatever I want but the thing is that when I was thinking about such reforms and what should be done I I was uh, I was thinking that there's not one thing that you can do that makes the education system better everything hmm. needs to be in tandem maybe gradually slowly in process but you cannot improve teacher training and forget the curriculum you sure. cannot improve curriculum and forget the infrastructure you cannot you know then there's so many problems that you need to work in tandem with but one thing that if if i had a magic wand i would want the best people in the country to become teachers mm. and uh, they should be fully motivated uh, to serve and to to be with the children in their classroom as per the needs of the children so if i had a magic wand i would just want the best talent in the country to become teachers well we pray and uh, wish that one day that will happen um, in Pakistan. Yes. Sounds like things are moving in the right direction and good luck to Pakistan and the education there. Uh, thank you yes. for your time. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's been great. It was really interesting talking about this. And that's all for today's episode, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Turn and Talk Podcast is your one-stop shop for learning about what is actually happening in schools today directly from the people who are working in today's schools. The support for this podcast comes from listeners like yourself, people who are interested in the present and the future of education. So feel free to head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash turnandtalkpodcast. We invite you to also follow us on Instagram at turnandtalkpodcast. If you haven't subscribed, subscribed yet please go ahead and do that too so that all future episodes are available to you upon release and downloaded immediately to your device if you have questions thought feedback or if you work in a school and would like to take the mic back please email us at turn and talk podcast at gmail.com thank you for tuning in this is your host jay mcsuits signing out peace